Well, if you're just joining us, we have, for the fall, we've been going through the book of Genesis, specifically chapters 4 through 11. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be, we're going to be ending our time in Genesis this morning. So what we do is every fall, we've been coming back to Genesis. And so today, we're going we're gonna to wrap up our section this, this fall, and then next fall, we'll come back and we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 12, which begins the story of, of Abraham. And, and if you've been with us, is that what's really dominated the time is the story of Noah and this idea of Noah. And hopefully Noah has become more to you than just a way to decorate the nursery, right? But the Noah becomes the story about God's, not only his judgment of sin, but his salvation of people. And that's what we see in the ark and the waters, is that the water is actually both the judgment and, and provides salvation. Judgment for some and salvation to others, which is what we see on the cross. And so it's more than just this little cute little story that we tell kids, but actually a story of God's judgment and God's uh, salvation in both of that, which is part of the larger story. And this morning, the story we're going to cover is, is not as well known, where maybe if uh, Noah's an A-lister, then you know maybe this is maybe a B-lister story, but still a quite popular story, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. And you may or may not be familiar with it, but it's actually one of the, probably some of the last time, one of the, the not the, the, the best known, but one of the, the well-known stories. And largely because it's where we get the origination of uh, languages from. And so, but a lot of times, because that becomes a part of the story, and so then people speak different languages, we think the point of the story is that the author is trying to explain where did these different languages come from. As if Moses is, or I believe Moses is being, being the author here, that Moses' main purpose in writing the Tower of Babel was like, well, in order for this story to have any credibility, we're going to have to explain not only how humanity got here, but how humanity have all these different languages. And so we have to put in a story that explains all the different languages. And so sometimes this story is told with, it, with, with the culminating point being, and that's why there's different languages. Or like the same way inside with the ark. And then God put all of the animals in the ark, two by two. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story of the Tower of Babel is, is not to explain, not to explain why there's different languages. That is actually the solution, God's solution to a problem. And what's the problem? Well, the problem is what happens when people unite and rise above what they perceive to be their need of God. So what happens when the people unite, rise above their, their need of God, and then make human flourishing, like humanity being better and better and better, the goal, and direct disobedience of God? How do you solve that problem? How do you solve the problem when people get together and rise above their need of God, Make human flourishing the goal of humanity and direct disobedience to God. How do you solve that problem? And the danger sometimes is that we read the Bible and we go, well, wasn't that a great story that happened so long ago and so ancient? But I go, no, here's actually the crazy thing. It's actually one of the questions that's facing Christianity today is what happens when a people unite and rise above their need for God, which is what we would call secularism, right? And, and, and make human flourishing the goal of humanity, that we just become better and better people, 
humanism and direct disobedience to God. Not only is this a problem that we find in Genesis chapter 11, this is the problem that we find in 2019. And I've got a, I got a, I've got a suspicion it's the problem we're going to find in 2020 as well. It's not going away. And so it's interesting because Christian, Christians often are, are afraid. Like, well, what do we do? Oh my gosh, we've never been here before. What does this look like? It's, it's uncharted waters. And I go, no, it's, it's been charted before. Yeah, they've been chartered before thousands of years ago. And here's the other crazy thing. It wasn't like chartered before thousands of years ago. And then all of a sudden, it's reared its ugly head in 2019, you know, thousands of years later. Like, no, we see all of these stories in between. People rising above what they perceive to be their need for God, right? Turning human flourishing, we just would be better and better people into the goal. And in doing so, live a life direct disobedience to God. He goes, that's actually the story of Babel. That's the Tower of Babel. It's not about, and so we get different languages to children. It's, this, is, this is what's happening, and this is God's solution. So, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1 and go following. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let me read that last part again. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so when it opens up in Genesis chapter 11, we go, there's unity in the world. You go, isn't this a good thing? Isn't this what we're after? I mean, you hear people right now, can we just get along? Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just be unified? Can't we come together? And here we find in Genesis 11, they've come together. They're working together. And at some level, the, 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 the giving of the languages is a grace and a frustration to their unity that we find in, Ge- in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Isn't that the goal of humanity? The goal of humanity is not to come together because if that's the goal of humanity, they have it in verse 1 of chapter 11. Have you ever traveled the world? Have you ever been frustrated when you go somewhere and they don't speak English? I was just in Peru and, and I've got broken Spanish. And I was trying to talk to somebody that had broken English. And often my, my problem with Spanish is that I know how to ask the question, but when they start giving me the answer, I don't understand. And so it's like, okay, I formulated the question, and then they give me the answer. I'm like, okay, I'm still just as lost as I was before. And I feel so bad because you're trying so hard. So, so I, I try to get to the other terminal. I need to know how to go to the, to the, from the international terminal to the, uh, the national terminal. And so she tells me in her broken English. So I asked that in Spanish. And then she tells me in her, in her, in her broken English, uh, she goes, I want you to go out there and I want you to turn, uh, turn right, but she points left. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to assume the way you showed me is the way I'm supposed to go, not the word that you said. 
And so I was able to actually find it. But she goes, this would be so much easier if we could all just, like, speak the same language. And even you think about, like, technology right now is trying to solve the problem, as we would see in Genesis chapter 11, that we could all, once again, speak the same language. I mean, now they're talking about things that you would wear in your ear that would translate as the person speaking. You go solving the problem of Genesis 11. But have you ever thought to yourself that actually Genesis 11 is a grace? As we're going to see, the world was unified. But what was the world unified in? And it tells us. It says, well, he goes, well, we want to make a big, a big tower that reaches the heavens. So we're going to build this big tower with brick that reaches the heavens because then people are going to know who we are. And you go, yeah, so big impressive buildings mean what? Big impressive people. And I love the Bible because I go, not much has changed. Big impressive buildings means big impressive people. You look at our world today, right? Cities, boom. That company must be doing really well because they have the biggest building in the city. Big, impressive buildings must mean big, impressive companies. Big, impressive stadiums must mean big, impressive teams. And really, you go, all, all this is is just this, this big, impressive building. You go, our buildings have changed. In fact, actually, we would go, brick, that's not how you build big, impressive buildings, my friend. You can't build big, impressive buildings out of brick. You've got, we, we, we have got more technology now to big, bi- you know, bigger and badder buildings. Always topping each other, always trying to impress, always trying to get one ahead. Why? Because big, impressive buildings means big, impressive people. And I go, the buildings have changed, the people have not. It's still what we want. And interesting is that what he said, that what they say is that we want to build a tower that reaches up to where? Up to the heavens. And I go, isn't this the goal of humanity? It's interesting because we have this call upward, like we, we have this sense that we're supposed to like be up in heaven, but we're not quite sure how to get there. And so then it's like, we can just build things. If we just build things, we can build things. Maybe we can actually work our way and get our way up there. By the way, which is most of the religions in the world. Here's how you work your way. You build your way up into heaven. You do enough good things. You work hard enough. You help enough old ladies cross the street. You know, you give to enough charities. You say enough kind words. You raise good children. You have a good job. And we, we build, we build, we build to get where? Up into heaven. So this interesting thing is that even we see in Genesis 11 where there's this idea that there's, there's a way for me to get to heaven. I've, I'm called upward, and so I have to work my way, build my way to get up there. But what does Christianity teach us? Which is why one of the reasons why it's unique is that it's not about us making our way up to heaven, but about heaven coming down to us. Right? That's the story. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. That's Emmanuel. God is with us. It's not that we worked our way up to heaven, but that heaven came down. And so here we have this, this story is that they're going to build this tower that reaches heaven. And what it says is that we're going to, what it says, we're going to make a name for ourselves. Because when we build this big, impressive tower, we will let us make a name for ourselves. Now, this is going to be hard. 
But I want you to imagine with me for a second, just a brief second, because it's going to be painful. But I want you to imagine with me for a second a world in which everyone's trying to make a name for themselves. How bad that world would be, yeah? Where everybody, it's all about self-promotion. Everybody's trying to make a name for themselves. What would that world be like? I bet you that world would be a world where image is more important than substance. As long as you can keep the image up, who cares about what's actually happening? That's the, the, that world would be like that. I mean, that'd be a world where, man, everyone's about self, self-promotion. It just seems like that would be like, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, going about their own thing. I go, how, how divisive that would be. You go, yeah, we would all have unity in that we all want to self-promote, but there would be division in the self-promotion. You go, what a miserable world that would be. Right? I say that in jest, obviously, because that's, goes, that's it. It's interesting because we think that the Tower of Babel is thousands of years ago, and yet we're like, we'll show you how to build buildings. Oh, and by the way, not only are we going to build bigger buildings than you, we are going to be more about self-promotion than you. Come. Let us make a name for ourselves. And maybe you even feel like that's the call of life. Come. And make a name for yourself. Be somebody. Rise up above. Make sure people know who you are. We live in the middle of self-promotion. And really, and really, and I was being honest, like, it's, like, it's probably about 90, probably quite even more, 95% of what social media is, right? It's not actually about social connection. But I don't know about your feed. I know about my feed. And a, and a vast majority of, of social media and even the, they would say, the influencers, the people who get paid to, to, to do cool things, what is it? At the end of the day, what is it? It's, hey, look at me. I'm doing really cool things. And you go, what's the Tower of Babel? Hey, look at me. We're doing really cool things. Building really big buildings. And you go, not only are we better at the, bu- the building of buildings, but we're better at their self-promotion. And yet we find ourselves in the same place. You know, now it's like, it's all about getting views and getting a following and making sure that people know your name. It's interesting. We're not going to cover it this fall, but next fall we're going to start in Genesis 12. And as Genesis 12 opens up, it's the story of Abraham, the father Abraham, the father of many nations. And do you know what God says to Abraham? If you were to read Genesis 12, you can go home and read it for yourself, by the way, after this. God comes to Abraham. Do you know what he tells him? He says, I'm going to make your name known. I'm going to make your name. You go, really interesting. Genesis 11, you've got people saying, we're going to make our name known. In Genesis 12, God says, I'm going to make your name known. So then I think to myself, it's not that God is opposed to us having names or even being known, but it's about who is doing it. And if all you're ever going to do is, is self-promote, it'll always feel empty because that's not why you're here. 
And so it's interesting that God says, no, here I'm going to thwart that plan. But here in Genesis 12, when I make your name known, I'm going to actually push that forward. One of my early prayers, by the way, I, I saw this fairly early in ministry, just reading through Genesis, was um, make your name known, that's a bad thing. But then Genesis 12, God says, I'm going to make your name known. And one of my prayers early on in ministry was, God, like, I want to make your name known. Like, that's going to be, like, what I want to do with ministry. That's how I want to, like, live my life. I want to make your name known. And what, if anything, you ever do with my name, that's your business. But I'm gonna, I want to live a life. Because here's the thing. I, I wish that this would be different. I wish that self-promotion would be different among Christians. It's just not. I mean, I, I meet Christian you know, authors or speakers, and they're oh, self-promotion, self-promotion, self-promotion. And so my prayer was, God, I want to make your name known, my life, the ministry that you've entrusted to me, make your name known. What, if anything, you do with my name, that's your business. I don't care. About a year and a half ago, I was preaching at a friend's church. And, uh, and so I, I, I preached there, and then six months later, he sent me a message. He said, Josh, someone just referenced your sermon from six months ago. Now, I know that's not shocking to you because you remember all my sermons. But for this crowd, <laughs> for this crowd, it was like, it was just, you know, I was just, I just came in, preached once, and then left. And then my friend said six months, six months later, which is insane, six months later, he goes, somebody just referenced your sermon from six months ago. I said, what'd they say? As well, she started off by saying, it's like what that one guy said uh, when he was preaching on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that. Totally forgot that one guy. That one guy. At least, you know, I remember my gender. But I, I remember it was, it was a guy. It definitely was a guy. But I remember that one guy, with that, what that one guy said. And then, but then what, what, did, what, did, what did she remember? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, what it says and the hope that it brings. And I go, yeah. You see, all that we are, we talk about the Tower of Babel, building big things. Hey, look at me. I'm doing big, impressive things. But here's the thing, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that your mom didn't tell you this, but she should have, but you're not that special, right? You're just not that special, I'm going to tell my mom later. You tell your mom. It's okay. It's okay. You're just not that special. And we think that this world is that the world may know that, that, that I am big and I'm, I'm I, I, like, hey, look at me. I'm doing big and important things. And all we've done is we've just, we're, we're building the bigger buildings and we're better at self-promotion. Like, oh, we'll show you buildings. Oh, we'll show you making your name known. And all that we've ever, I, I'll think, sometimes I think all that we've done is just lower the bar. You know, I've got at least the Tower of Babel is like, hey, look at us. We actually are building a very large building. If everything we've done, anything, we just lowered the bar, which is like, hey, look at me. I'm eating the salad. I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> hashtag healthy, you know, hashtag. Uh, it's not a donut, hashtag, I couldn't afford meat, or whatever it would be, right? Just views and likes. Self-promotion. And so it's interesting, what they say is what we want to do, right? Build a big tower, 
So people know who we are, lest, right? And lest is a fancy way of saying, otherwise, otherwise what? Otherwise, we're going to be dispersed. So if we don't do one and two, we're in danger of three, the dispersion happening. But do you remember what God told them in Genesis chapter 9? What did he say? Disperse. So you think about the craziness of, of this message in the Tower of Babel. Let us build a big tower in disobedience to God. Let us make a name for ourselves in disobedience to God. And if we don't do those two things, we are in danger of being obedient to God. If I'm not disobedient here, and if I'm not disobedient this way, I'm in danger of being obedient this way. You see, that's the story of Babel. And so, we see this. It reaches to heaven. And then verse 5. I think my favorite verse of this, this narrative. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And so the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I love the Bible. What's happening here? Big impressive tower. Big impressive tower that's going to reach the heavens. Verse 5, God came down to see it. What does it tell us? It tells us, one, the tower didn't reach the heavens, right? It's like in verse 5, and then God's like, well, how did this tower get up here? What are they? Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, how did they, they build a tower to get all the way up here? What does it tell us? It tells us that why, what, they weren't successful. Now, you know, I think here God's being ironic, right? Well, maybe a little mocking. Here it's coming up. And God's like, well, let me can't see it from all the way up here. Let me, let me go down and see it. And I love how it says then the, the children of man. And it's one way of saying like, you're the sons of Adam. It's, it's, it's a way of, of speaking to the humanity. Not sons of God. You're the sons of Adam. But even then it's like, it's, I think it's even mocking there. Let's go see the, what the children have done. Oh, look at this. The little kids. They built this little tower. It's the, it's the cutest little tower. Mom, isn't it great? Oh, it's, it's, it's the biggest tower I've, I've ever seen, really. It's the biggest tower. God comes down to see what the little children have done. And interesting that God both, at some level, mocks it, but takes it very seriously. This is why when, when, when Christians are freaked out, they're like, Josh, Taking prayer out of schools. Josh, they're trying to remove God from our culture. Josh, they're trying to, this culture, this, 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 like our culture, our world is trying to rise above their need for God and make human flourishing as the goal. And now they're in direct disobedience to God. What are we going to do? I go, here's the thing. It's not the first time we've been here in, in, unless Jesus returns. It won't be the last time we, we visit this place. And every single time, the sovereignty of God trumps the ingenuity of man. 
is true in the Tower of Babel. It's true in 2019. And I got a suspicion it's going to be true in 2020 as well. The sovereignty of God is going to trump the ingenuity of man. It's always been true. And even though you may feel like you're in the middle of the raging storms and seas, as even as, as a culture, at the end of the day, it's God coming down to see what we've done. And so then it goes on in verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so it's very interesting that, that God doesn't topple the tower. Let's go down and destroy the tower. I think God knows that if you go down and destroy that tower, guess what you're going to get? Another tower. And this tower may be bigger than the tower before. You could topple the tower, but that wouldn't solve the problem. The problem is that they are conspiring against you. And so God thwarts their communication because he knows if he can thwart their communication, he can thwart the conspiracy. This is why, by the way, is that the the multiple languages that we have in this world, like 6,500 right now or something like that, that we have in this world is by the grace of God because if we all spoke one language, it wouldn't be that we were a better humanity. We would just be better in our rebellion against him. And so here God frustrates the language. And by the way, it's a very basic idea. If people can't communicate, if communication breaks down, it's very hard for them to work together. That actually, language is actually a, a, a way in which we align, in which we, we set up, and actually creates barriers. When I work with couples, sometimes they were sitting in the office together, and it might be differences. There might be issues of, like, finances, or how do we raise the children, or, um, or, or job selections, or should we buy a house or not a house. But if there's a major issue... Do you know what seems to be at the bed of all of those, at the foundation of all of those, is, uh, that we always work with, is one of communication. And sometimes it's like, we're not even speaking the same language. It's like we're not even speaking the same language. And then we'll sit there and we'll talk, and I go, yeah, you're right. You guys are not speaking the same language. You're saying this, but you heard this, and then you said that, and then you heard this. And so communication often is one of the signs that something is breaking down. Because one of the first divisions in any relationship, whether it be a friendship, a marriage, um, and in a workplace, is that when communication breaks down, there's a sign of something larger. You see, interesting here is that when the communication breaks down, they literally are going to go their separate ways. When communication breaks down in any relationship, people start to go their separate ways. And so I often say, like, before, before that, if you feel like the communication is a strain, we are not speaking the same language, whether it be a friendship, whether it be with your parents, whether it be in a marriage, that's the actual the time to start addressing things. You know? One of the, uh, I say wisest, but what, a really wise, well, I was doing counseling years ago, years ago. 
And by the way, years ago, I'm trying to tell you, they're not here now. So, yeah, so don't, don't look around like, I wonder if it's that couple or that couple. Uh, they're, they're not here. But, but they actually, they came to me and they said, I said, hey, so what's, what's going on? They said, well, we just want to talk because we don't feel like we're on the same page communication-wise. There's no big blow-up. There's not, like, we're not yelling at each other. We're not throwing things at each other. There's, there's no, like, there's just sort of this, like, we're not, we're just not communicating well. And that's a sign of, like, we don't want that to get worse. And I go, yeah, like, that's great. Like, let's talk about that. And so we just started addressing some of these things. And one of them was, it was about a clean bathroom. And she would say, could you go clean the bathroom? He would say, yeah, no problem. He would do that. And then she would come back and say, I thought I asked you to clean the bathroom. <laughs> I did. Well, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't say that. And so we actually, we started like, man, there's something sort of super simple in this area. But we're talking different languages. You say clean the bathroom. You mean, like, what do you mean by clean the bathroom? And you mean that every time you say clean the bathroom? Like, well, not every time. I say, sometimes I mean clean the bathroom is like here, but sometimes I mean clean the bathroom is like here. I was like, oh, well, then how does, how's he supposed to know which one it is? He's like, well, I don't know. Like, should he always clean it like this level? Like, no, he doesn't always have the time. So, so it, was, it was really, so what we did is actually say, so let's come up with like, what, is it, what does a five look like? Okay, well, five clean bathroom means, you know, stuff off the counters and like, you know, wipe down the toilet, that kind of stuff. Okay, what does a 10 look like? Well, 10 looks like, you know, you're starting to clean the grout in the shower. Like, okay. Okay, and so they would even start to, so she would say, can you clean the bathroom? He would go, okay, what level? She'd go, I don't know, about like a seven. Perfect. And so we got them on like the same page. And so when communication breaks down, relationships break down, intimacy goes the other direction. Could you just pick up your clothes and put them in the hamper? I'm sorry, I'm a slob. Like, I didn't say that. I'm sorry we don't live in a museum. Like, I don't say that. You see what happens? And actually what's interesting is that God knows this. He uses it. But do you know who else knows it and uses it? Satan. He knows it too. If you can break down the communication. I see it, by the way. Not just talking about marriages. I mean friendships. In the workplace. In families. Families. Long divisions in families. Why are you guys, why are you guys angry at each other? Because somebody said this. I'm like, I don't know if they said that. I mean, that's what they said, but they didn't mean that. If you, can, if you can keep a people from communicating, you can divide them. They can't work together. So God comes down. He gives them different languages. He frustrates their ways. And then in verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused. There the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So communication breaks down. People start going the other directions, their, other, their own ways. And guess what they do? They disperse, which is, right? That was the will of God. God said, I want you to disperse. And so here they are in their disobedience. They're like, hey, let's get together. Let's be disobedient. God frustrates that disobedience. And then what do they end up doing? The will of God. Actually, the very thing that they didn't want to do in the beginning, God frustrates their ways and has them do. Which actually speaks to the sovereignty of God. But this is where, like in our world right now, people think that the, 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 the goal of humanity is to be unified together, working towards the common good. 
And this idea, can we all just get along? Can we all just be unified? Can we all just love each other? And I go, that's not the goal of humanity. The goal of humanity is not just the unity. Because if the goal of humanity was just to be unified, then we would go, then God, then God thwarted the goal of humanity in Genesis chapter 11. The goal of humanity is not just to be unified. Just to get along. It's not like God's up in heaven going like, I don't know, as long as they're not fighting, I don't care. It's what they want to do. Like maybe parents would do that. You got kids that fight a lot and then you don't, you're like, I wonder what they're doing. And you think to yourself, well, they're not fighting, so whatever it is, it should be fine. But what if you found out that the reason why they're not fighting is because they're conspiring against you? <laughs> you know, is that that moment where, like, you realize your kids aren't, like, your kids aren't fighting because they're working together? Because they've, they've, they've coordinated their lies? You're like, oh, 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 no. And they are trying to cover the story. Was he there? Mm-hmm, he was there, Mom. Now you're both lying to me, right? And you would not say to yourself, hey, as long as you're getting along... No problem. I don't care what you'd say. It's like, well, yeah, I want you to get along, but I don't want you to get along in your conspiracy against me. And as a parent, what you would say is, I'm going to thwart that plan. And that's exactly what God does. And so it's not just unity. And so it's interesting here, and and I love this. Notice how man says, let us build a tower let us make our name known and let us not disperse. That's what it says. Man says, let us. Let us build a tower. Let us make our name known and let us not disperse. And what happens? Well, the, the tower doesn't reach the heaven, so they don't really build the tower. If they build it, it's not high enough to what they think. And, and second of all, the tower, as far as we know, is not standing today. So we can't just go and say, here's the big tower of Babel that they built so many years ago. So the tower is not existent, right? Their names were not known. Do you know the names of any of the people in the story? No. They're remembered, but their names, they did not make a name for themselves. We don't know their names. We know the name of the tower, but we don't know the name of the people. And then the one thing that they didn't want to have happen, which was because we don't want to disperse, they end up dispersing. And then what does God say? God says, let us go down, which he does. Let us frustrate their communication, which he does. And let us disperse them, which he does. Because the beautiful thing about humanity and, and God is that humanity... We've got plans that sometimes or sometimes they don't come, it doesn't come to fruition. And God, when he speaks his word, even in the middle of outright rebellion, his word and his plan always prevails. When God says, let us, he does. When God says, we're going to, they do. The Trinity working together. And so, the goal of humanity is not just unity. And so, you could actually read, uh, like Genesis 11, think to yourself, well, maybe God's not about the unity of humanity. Maybe God wants us to be divided. Or you think about that? Well, what, if, what if in our country right now, the division that we experience right now in the country, God's like, that's a, that's a good thing. Hard to say, right? Isn't it better that we're all together? 
working together? You go, well, maybe God's not against unity. But here becomes the problem. When you read the New Testament, what do you read a lot about? Unity. The only thing is that Paul's continually writing about in the, in the New Testament is like unity. You guys, you're, you're coming from all these different walks of life, different races, you're speaking different languages, different social statuses. You guys need to have to figure out how to get along. Because what? You belong to one another. And so we get to the New Testament and everything is about unity. I don't care where you come from. I don't care your story, but you are one in Christ. And so it's not just, you know, disunity for disunity's sake or unity for unity's sake, but it's actually unity with a purpose. Which is, by the way, remember, you know, so Jesus, he was, he was crucified, buried, resurrected. 50 days after the resurrection, what takes place is Pentecost where the disciples and others have gathered together for the praying. And as they are praying, you know what it says? It says that, that, the, that the, the Spirit descended upon them. And when the Spirit descended upon them, you know what happened? They started speaking the other languages and people knew what they think they heard the message of Jesus in their own language. And so here we see in Genesis chapter 11, God says, you're going to unify to rebel against me? To make your name known, I'm going to thwart that plan by breaking down your communication. But in Acts chapter 2, when you are gathering together in my name for my purpose so that you can go into all of the world and make disciples, one of the things that God says, at least for that moment, is I'm going to remove the barrier, the language barrier for you. Why? Because you're working together right? My spirit's upon you. I'm empowering you, at least for this moment, to, to go out. And so, because you are gathering together in my name to take my name to the nations. It's not about making your name great and known, but it's about making Jesus' name great and known. And so then he says, I'm going to like take, take at least for right now, the barrier away. And so it's not just unity for unity's sake, but unity for a purpose. You know, right now when the, the world is talking about we should all get along, I go, for what purpose? Because the idea is like we should all, we should, have, we should be unified as a country, we should be unified as a culture. Oh yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a great idea. I really, really, really do. But my problem is, is that what is compelling enough to unify us all? Equality. Okay? But how are you going to achieve equality? How are you going to actually achieve equality without the gospel? Now, I'm not saying, by the way, we shouldn't push for these things. I think we should. But, I go, but, but let us not buy into the lie that if we all saw each other as equal, we would have arrived as humanity. Because, once again, we could all be unified in just our disobedience. Maybe say, someone says equality, or maybe people say like, oh, you know, we can, we can, we can, we can organize around morality. Because at least, you know, there was a time and there was a day when people knew what was the right from wrong. And there was morals as a country, and we need to get back to the morals of the country. 
We need to be unified in what is right, and we need to be unified in what is wrong. But I go, that's not compelling enough. That's not compelling enough for me. I don't think it's compelling enough for you. It's not compelling enough for a culture. Just right and wrong. And so what do we do? The scriptures teach us there's something more compelling than all of that. The idea in scripture is that that there's a name under which we all come. And the name under which we all come is what unifies us. And so it actually is one of the things. When people think, well, how do we answer a culture? What do we do in a culture that says, hey, look at me, aren't I great? We answer it with the gospel, which says, hey, look at him, isn't he great? You see, we need something that will compel us to unity, but not just for unity's sake, but unity that is actually worthy. And God says, do you want to unify to disobey me? You want to unify in your rebellion against me? I will thwart that plan, as I always have and always will. But if you want to unify under my name, right, the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. You want to unify under that name? I'm all about that. That's why when couples and I talk with people or try to bring reconciliation to any relationship, whether it be marriages or family or friendships, I go, you know, you can, you can say sorry for some things. That's good, that's helpful, that's right. You can be true to your promises. That's good, that's helpful, that's right. But if you want real unity in that relationship, it's going to only come under not your finances, not how you raise the children, not even your likes and dislikes of comedy movies. But it's going to come under the name of Jesus. By the way, this is why when I go to Peru and I speak my broken Spanish and they speak their broken English, although some of them have really good English to me, but they really speak when we're speaking different languages, there is actually a sense of unity. It's one of the things I love most about missions is that I get to see the church in a different context. And when I meet with them, when we sit around a table, it's hard to explain, but when you sit around a table, there is this sense of unity. And the only thing that we have in common, other than we are, we're humans, the only thing that we have in common, the only thing that unifies us, the only thing that has brought me to Peru, that has brought them to that table, is their identity in Christ. And you go, that, that, that is worth, that is compelling enough to bring unity to us. And so God says, you want to unify and make your name make your name known. I'm going to thwart that plan, and history is going to forget you. Because it's not about the world knowing your name. It's not about building big churches or big buildings so that people know how impressive we are. But it's about something else. It's about unifying under the name of Jesus. And one day, all of the the tongues will, will speak in, in similar language, but it's, all, but it's going to be under this. This, this, this name of Jesus will be unified. And so, 
for you and for, our, for us as a culture. That's really my prayer. My prayer is that we don't become more moralistic. Or my prayer isn't that we just simply figure out equality and then, and then achieve it. My prayer, because we could still, once again, we could do that in outright rebellion to God. My goal, my prayer, is that we would be a, a community, that we would be a culture that finds its unity under the name of Jesus. And for that, then God celebrates. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your name in which we can find unity. How empty the world has always been if we look at it through the lens that aren't we great, aren't we impressive, doing great and impressive things. May we unite under you, a great God, who has done and will do impressive things. God, I pray for the unity in friendships and families and marriages with children. But I pray that there would be a unity that would be compelling enough to draw. That there would be a unity in you, Jesus, because we call on you as Lord. And because of that, we find our identity. And because of that, we find our community. And because of that, we find our unity. May we not be unified. May you always frustrate our plans to unify in rebellion and disobedience to you. And may you, may you empower us to be unified in you. And our love and care for one another is driven by your love for us and our love for you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen.